Thank you for tuning in to our Bear Creek AG podcast. You are about to listen to our weekly Bible study with Pastor Tony. Thanks for joining in. There we go. So once again, we're in Hebrews chapter 2. We'll finish up. Last week, we got through the first four verses of the book of Hebrews. We looked at a, there's a lot of, of, of great material there. I won't rehash it, but just as a highlight, the very first verse, it talks about, uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about, you know, paying attention uh, to what the, the reader has heard. And he's just, he's saying, hey, pay attention to what you've heard about the Lord. And we talked in depth about the gospel, the message of the gospel. And the reason why you need to be careful what you hear is because he goes on and talks about if the message of the angels, remember right from chapter 1, he talked about how more superior Christ was and the message of Christ was than the angels and the message of the angels. And we came to the conclusion by looking at Scripture that the message of the angels was really the law that God gave through Moses. God gave it to Moses through, and we, we see through Scripture that although God gave it, it was delivered by the angels because Moses could not inhabit the presence of God. I mean, the, I mean he got close to God, and his, his, like me, I've been in the presence of the Lord because just look how bright my hair is and my, my radiance. I'm bright. So, uh, and so we, we looked at that, and, 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 and we talked about how people walk away because he talks about walking away. We dare not take our salvation lightly. Um, you know, it, it, and I, and I kind of came, we closed with this thought. The reason, we talked a little bit about why people take their salvation so lightly. And sometimes it comes from the perspective that we have about our salvation. And we're going to pick up there. And the perspective that kind of the Lord laid on my heart is, sometimes we look at our salvation, our perspective is, um, it's, 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 um, it's something that we receive, and we do receive salvation, but we look, and it is a gift, but so often we look at it so much as a gift, something that we receive, uh, that we don't understand maybe or fully appreciate the value. And really what we need to look at is our salvation is something that rescues us from something. If you remember right, that, that's where we kind of ended up. We talked quite in depth about that aspect of rescue. Because reality is it is a free gift, and, it, and it's something that I, sh- I do cherish, but if it's just something I take and, you know, put, you know, something, a gift that I could put on, you know, under a tree or, or, or something somebody gives me, it's not necessarily something I cherish, but if it's like a life jacket, something I said, this is something that's going to save me, I need this life jacket, uh, then I value it a little bit more. And that's really what salvation is, is to rescue us from the penalty of sin in this life, but definitely from the, per, the, 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 the uh, eternal separation uh, that we would have from God. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that tonight. So we're going to pick up in verse 5 of chapter 2. I doubt if we're going to get all the way through chapter 3, but I went ahead, forgive me for, I'm going to be very transparent. I had forgot we didn't finish chapter 2. And so Monday when I was prepping, I went ahead and started looking at 3. And I looked at 3 again today. And, and then it just hit me when I said, wait a minute, we didn't, I'm missing something here. We didn't finish 2. So I'm really ready about for 3, but we will finish up 2 and see how far we get into 3. But verse 5, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. Now I'm in the, I'm in the ESV, if you're wondering what uh, version of the Bible I'm in. It has been testified somewhere, and he goes to quote Scripture here, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet, Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. Praise God for that. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, 
But we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. So he's talking about Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by grace, the grace of God, he might taste um, he might taste death for everyone. So here the author is now he's going. He's still talking about angels. He's talking about the message of Christ is greater than the message of angels. Uh, and we and we talked about that last week. I don't want to rehash that. The Old Testament law was very important, but Jesus came to fulfill it. And that's really what he's saying. Because they remember, what are the Hebrew people? What are these Jewish people struggling with? Well, do I fall back into Judaism because we're being rejected by the by the, those who are over the synagogues and the and the temple? We're being persecuted by Rome. So, so this whole we know eventually we're going to get to what the the theater of faith. The, the he's going to start talking about the Old Testament, and that's what the writer's trying to do. He's trying to bring these these Hebrew people who are very versed in their heritage in the Old Testament law and helping them see how Christ fulfilled it. And it's not that Christ changed the law by coming; He fulfilled it. But if anybody can add to the law or take away from the law, if that's the right way, it may not be the right way to put it. It's definitely the author of the law. And that's kind of where, where he's kind of going with this. Not that it was changed, but he is superior to the angels, and the new covenant is superior to the old covenant. So he's quoting Psalms 8, verses 4 through 6, and he's showing the smallness of man in relationship to God and the dominion God gave to man, even though man is a little lower than angels. So let's talk just a minute. What do you know about the dominion? What did God give man dominion over? Over, I'm sorry, animals, the earth, right? In the very beginning, God placed man in his perfect form, and he had dominion over the earth. That's in Genesis chapter 1, obviously. It is true that angels are in a place of spiritual uh, preeminence now over man in the sense that they are angelic beings. They have access to the presence of God. Um, but God did not give angels dominion over this earth. And that's, that's what he's saying here. He's saying that, okay? And he's saying, hey, this is, God gave us dominion over, this, over the world and over the earth. So uh, angels serve God, but we found out in the previous chapter, angels also are here to serve us. They're ministering. They carry out God's uh, charge, and part of the charge is to look after us, defend us, take care of us, minister to us. We see that in Jesus in the wilderness. We see that with Elijah. We, we see all kinds of stories. It, I mean, the prophet who, whose helper uh, were outnumbered, and, and he, the prophet prayed, I believe it was Elijah, played, hey, God opened his eyes, and then he saw all the angelic beings that outnumbered the enemy. They're there, as, as and they're warrior angels, and, and I believe sometimes that we're guilty of not, and I use the word, employing our angels. We don't pray to the angels, but we can release God's angels that He's put in charge over us to bid and to fight on our behalf. Yes, Brother Jim? What I found about angels, and this just kind of come to light several years ago, God gave us two things to, to help us, and that was the Holy Spirit and angels. Absolutely. Spiritual battle with one arm tied behind you because I don't think we 
you, like you say, we use what what we have access to is his angels, and, and they're waiting to help us. I believe that. I believe that wholeheartedly. In that part. Yeah, they're not. They're not all up in, in heaven just worshiping. Matter of fact, there's only select angels, and they're the cherubim that are doing that in the presence of God. But angels are constantly coming, and, and I believe it was uh, Jacob who had the vision of the ladder, and what did he see? Angels. That's, abs, absolutely. And, and so it's important. Now, we don't, we don't have a, I don't, sometimes, well, I'm going to say this as a blanket statement, it's a broad statement. Most Christians don't have a good theology of angels. And maybe that's something we need to study sometime. Maybe we can do a Wednesday night small group a couple weeks on that too, because I think it's important. I really, it's not that we pray to angels. But we can release angels to do the warring on our behalf. And they're really, there are servants, but there are servants in the sense that God sends them to serve, look after, protect, protect us. Okay, that's good. Yeah, Brother Joey? We, we tend to give more liability to demons than we do. That's a very good point. I'm going to say that just so those who are listening online. We, we seem to give more viability to demons than we do angels, see. and. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that's a good. Absolutely, that's very good. Ooh, that, I, I have to, I have to make note of that when I use that again. That's very good. Okay. So angels, uh, oh, excuse me. God created us in in His image, and He did crown us with His glory. We were crowned with His glory. We are crowned with His glory and honor. He placed everything under man. But what happened? Man, what? We forfeited the power that He gave us, not the authority, but the right. To have dominion when we sinned. We still, we still can take authority in the name of Jesus, but we forfeited it because of sin. So when we get back into the right relationship with Christ, we now have that afforded back to us, okay? But we gave it up and through sin, and the principle of death took away the power to rule. Now, I, I cannot tell you indefinitely that man, that Adam and Eve were never designed to die. We, we believe that was the case. I mean, nothing in the Word points that out is what my point is, okay? And if God foreknew that they would fall, then He foreknew they would die. But maybe in God's original plan, they were, they were supposed to live forever. And, and, and I, I do tend to that belief. Because we know that when the new heaven, new earth is created, and we are once again fully redeemed, and we have our glorified bodies, that, that the trees of life will line the river that flows from the throne of God, and we will live forever in that state where sin will have no more bound on us, no more. It, we, we will no longer be tempted. We will no longer, when we get to new heaven and earth, that I don't believe uh, that there, we will have the capacity to sin anymore. Now, I could be wrong with that. There's nothing that definitely says that. But, uh, you know, I want to be careful about absolutes because who'd ever thought angels could rebel against God? See my point? So, I, 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 but I don't feel we will. I, I don't think we will. And uh, because... Satan will no longer be here. He's going to be in the lake of fire, vacationing down there on the shores of the lake of fire, uh, you know, with his asphalt skis. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it won't be a vacation, but he'll be tormented uh, for, for all of eternity. And so with it, we, we see that. And um, I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought. I probably, but Jesus came through, um, came through his humility and suffering. He defeated the power of death and made possible the fulfillment of God's promise that humans will have dominion over the earth. That's why I say we can have it because Christ fulfilled that. He fulfilled that both 
by having a sinless life, uh, by taking dominion. When he died, he descended into Hades, into Shul, and he took back the authority or the keys, and he defeated death. We say, I say this all the time, he defeated the grave, he defeated sin. And so therefore, because of that, we once again have his authority to take dominion. Even now, you have the authority over Satan. I mean, think about that. When you talk about healing, healing comes from God. But as we pray, we lay hands and we anoint. That's us exercising our authority here on earth as it is in heaven, see. And, and so that, this is where the writer is, is, is trying to make his point there again. I try to put it all within the concept of why, he, why is he using this wording? Why is he using the phrases? It's trying to get the point across, okay? Man is the capstone and the crown of God's creation. We have to remember that. And one day we will be again in the new heaven and the new earth. Verse 10. For it was fitting that he, speaking of Christ, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory. We could actually say sons and daughters or children to glory, should, be made, should make the, the founder um, or the originator of... He's the author and the finisher of our faith, basically. The salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have what one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell you of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. He's quoting scripture again. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God have has given me. I'm sorry about stumbling over my reading right now. My eyes are tired and they're blurry. So here in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 through 13, uh, it tells us three things about Christ. I, want you to, uh, I don't want to camp out here, but I, I love it when God writes and He gives us obvious bullet points. I like, I'm a bullet point person. Boom. I've got my page is full of bullet points, okay? And the three things I note here about Christ is, first, He's the pioneer of our salvation. He's the author and the finisher of our, our, our faith, our salvation. He pioneered it. Faith, although faith was real, and it's also by faith in the Old Testament that you could be in right relationship with God, Jesus brought it all to a new level, and now our faith is, 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 not, is now in what Christ has accomplished for us. And so He is the pioneer of our faith, okay? Also, it points out that He's the elder brother of the redeemed. Think about that. He, you know, I mean, he, he's our Savior, but we are joint heirs. How do you become a joint heir of, of somebody? You've you got to be a brother, so you've got to be a, a sibling of that person. All right. And so in that sense, he is, he is the pioneer of our salvation and the brother of the redeemed, and he is the sanctifier of the saints. Now, what does sanctification mean? What, anybody got a, just a 411 quick 101? What is sanctification? Set apart. Absolutely. Because of what he did, now we have the mark of God on us. And we are what? We're set aside. We're set aside. Now this would be important for the Jewish people that's reading this because they were God's people. But with the introduction of salvation to Gentiles, they kind of lost their identity in that aspect of it. But what Paul's saying is now we were, we're, we're identified, but we're now everybody who is under Christ is sanctified. We're not no longer identified as Jews. We're now identified as the children of God or the offspring of Christ is what he's talking about. Okay? Questions, comments? You want to add to that? So I'm not trying to rush through it. Last week I couldn't keep y'all quiet. All right? 
Verse 10 explains the reason uh, that uh, Jesus tasted death. It was fitting or proper that God... Why was it fitting or proper that God allowed Jesus to suffer? There's a couple of reasons. But why was it proper? That's an interesting word to use there for, in, in the Greek. Why was it proper? Why was it proper for Jesus to die? Could, could God in, in His ultimate, uh, uh, you know, infinite power and wisdom, could He have created another way for man to come into salvation? Hmm. So why was it... Okay, so, John, why was it fitting? Well, I might, I might be kind of... I've always felt that God, you know, He's fair and He's fair. So how... I can see Satan sitting over there talking to God and how do you know what it is like to suffer as a man? Boom, I'll do it. I'll go down and I'll suffer as a man. So all can see. Okay. All right, good. You're, you're going down the right road. It was example. It's an example. Alex? Well, I think if we get into what sin actually is, right? Sin is disobedience, mm-hmm. right? So in order, and God is in the business of making things right. So in order to atone for disobedience against God, God himself had to right the wrong of the original disobedience. Okay. Kyle? says it right here in verse 18 for in that he himself has suffered being tempted he is able to secure them that are tempted absolutely it was fitting because he was the only one who could do it so as you read on you'll find out with our suffering with our temptation Christ was tempted he was tempted more than just in the wilderness he was tempted in the garden the night before he gave up his life why did he go to the garden and pray Lord, Father, please, I don't want to go through this. And so he can identify with that. Absolutely. He, I think the greatest temptation is going to cross when you can come down and give rid of God. Absolutely. I mean, at, the, at the pinnacle of the pain, the suffering, and facing death. Absolutely. Yeah, good. Brother Jim? You know, by Christ being fully man and fully God, he was always tempted, you know, as the man part. Yes. You know, a lot of times he's referred to as second Adam. But he showed us if he could live that way and resist the temptation, then we could. We could. Because he was fully man just like we're fully man. Right. And the fully God side of him, he denied. He, he did not, when he... That's the best way to put it. He was fully God, but he did not use that to his advantage to be fully God. The miracles that he performed, he performed as a man and not as, a, not as God. Does that make sense? And it was the Holy Spirit that empowered him to do it. And that's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Because he said, the things you've seen me do, you're going to even do greater things things than I have. And so it's with that. But he didn't do it out of his deity. He did it out of his manliness. And then sense and manliness, humanity is what I mean by that. Brother? I'd like a little more uh, clarity on that because I don't think you would have had the, the power to heal without being part of God. So do you not, do you not have the power to heal? Once you're full of the Holy Spirit, 
then you've got everything that you can get and everything is there. And then from then on, it depends on our belief and our faith. Brother Gerald, maybe you need to explain to me. Well, I just wanted, I wanted your clarity uh, from you when you say spiritual healing. Well, you may not have the power, but do you, you have the authority. Why would Jesus say the things you've seen me do, you're going to do greater things? What had they seen? The dead raised? The blind opened eyes? The lame walk? But when the woman of the issue of blood touched his garment, he said, the spirit has gone out of me. He did authority. He said the authority, yeah, the, okay. absolutely. So, so you don't have the Spirit of God in you. I mean, I'm just trying to help you understand what... Someone's not going to be touching him on my garment saying, heal me. Sorry. But you see that, that uh, people brought claws to Paul, and when he touched the claws, they took it to people and they were healed. So was that, was that mean Paul's the Son of God and had to, it was... And Peter's shadow. Did not Jesus say you will lay hands on people and they will be healed? But that's splitting a hair. You may have the gift. I may have the gift. But does that mean that the person he gave the gift of healing to? I mean, I guess that, 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 that doesn't doesn't go along with the discussion because he gave some, absolutely. I, I agree, not everybody has every gift. So are you saying healing's not for today? No, I'm saying not everyone has the gift of healing. It's the same spirit. But it's the, yeah, all gifts, but the same spirit. Different gifts with the same spirit. But he still doesn't part all gifts to all men. No, but he does depart gifts to all men and some gifts to some people and some gifts to other people. But you are a preacher. You are a disciple. You're called to go in, you are called to go into all the world to preach the gospel. Those who believe will be saved. Those who don't will be condemned. And you will lay hands on people and they will be healed. That's, that's Jesus' word, not mine. I'll come back up to you, Mary Lou. Alex? I think we also need to keep in mind that Christ is the embodiment of the gifts, right? Absolutely. He is the baptizer. That's right. So Christ is himself the embodiment of the gifts, right? And Christ imparts the Spirit. He baptizes in the Spirit. So while I understand what Brother Gerald is saying in the sense that not everybody has the same gifts, it is the same Spirit imbued by the same Christ. Who Absolutely. Who is holy God and holy man. Yeah. And who in his lifetime operated under in the Spirit to bestow the gifts before the Spirit was given to others. Absolutely. Before it poured out an act. Okay. You and your humanness cannot heal someone. You're correct on that. But Christ through you. Yeah. The Spirit of it's the authority of Christ in you. You are the temple of the Holy of Spirit. Yes. Absolutely. Can. 
Absolutely. The prayer of faith will, James says, call for the elders of the church. Lay hands and pray, right? Pray the prayer of faith. And, and that's, that's part of it. That's you acting out within the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit who lives within you. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God lives within you when you're born again. But with the endowment of power comes with the baptism. That's the second baptism. John says, I baptize with water, but one greater than I will come after me, and he will baptize you in fire, the Holy Spirit in fire. And so with it, and then from there, you're right. Maybe not everybody has the gift of, of healing, but brother, when you're sick, you call for the believers to pray for you. Okay, so if we don't have the power, if we don't have the power to heal, then why are we even praying for healing? See, so I, 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 I humbly disagree. I, I think that you may not have that gift, but there are people who do have that gift. And when we start praying in faith, things definitely happen in the spirit realm. Absolutely. Does that make sense? What? Well, we see Christ did that one time, right? But my point is, we're supposed to have a Christ-like faith. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're weak. We're weak in but our in our weakness, he's made strong. Right. What was Paul talking about there? We're weak, we're weak in our nature as to the fact that I think uh, just in, in human nature, we don't, it's very rare that somebody would have that, that faith-driven healing spirit. And that's where, that's where somebody would have a different... But is that because God doesn't want to give it or because we don't believe it? That's because... See, why, it, why would God change what he told us? This is good. This, I like where we're going here. Why would God say that to us if it wasn't possible for... Are we saying that the gifts dissipated after the apostles? Because I know that's what the Baptists believe and there's several other forms of Christianity that believe that today the Baptist of the Holy Spirit is not for us. See, which I totally disagree with, obviously. Today, That's right, because we began the end times, the church age, in Acts chapter 2. So, Mary Lou, you want to cush and comment? Do you think that we have had the gift since the beginning? Do you think that we've had the gift since the beginning? Well, um, do you think? I, I know that Paul, and I've said this before, I, I, I know that Paul, in teaching about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he, he talks about not a hierarchy, but obviously he, he was saying, look, everybody wants tongues. Everybody's speaking in tongues. And, you know, and he kind of gives us direction in that. And he tries to emphasize the other gifts because it's, it's gifts of edification. Tongues without interpretation doesn't edify anybody. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the gifts of tongues, not your prayer language. And he does say to desire or to want the most desirable gift. There's that scripture in there. I'm paraphrasing, but you know what I'm, everybody know where I'm talking about where he talks about that? So let me ask you a question because I'll let you answer this. What is the most desirable gift? The one that's needed at the moment. So is it so does God just give out one gift to each person, or can God give out multiple gifts to one person? He can give out multiple gifts, absolutely. So with that, but that mean that you, do you have all of them? 
No, I'm not saying you have all of them. Does that mean God could give you what you needed at the moment when you need it? I do believe they could do that. Does that make sense? I know I'm kind of skirting the answer. Reality of it is, we know that you can have, not, God is no respected person, so He's not going to limit the gifts. But He gives the gifts for what purpose? Whatever is needed in that very, very, very moment. Yeah, I hope that makes sense. I agree with that. Absolutely. All right. We'll go Mary Lou, Brother Ben, and Kyle. I know. Listen, I love this. I hope nobody is getting, getting hurt that we've stopped right here. Joey got offended. He's leaving. Okay, Mary Lou, follow-up question. Go ahead. You're trying to stump me tonight, but go ahead, troubler. Okay, but by saying that, are we trying to de-emphasize the fact that we have the gifts available to us as God, Spirit, as the Spirit gives it out? Because the Scripture is very experienced. Does that, are we minimizing that and say that we don't have those gifts that the Spirit wants to give out by saying it that way? I'm just asking you. I'm not... Greater miracles because there's more. So we'll see the same miracles, but it would be on a greater level because there'd be more people. Yeah. But my point is that doesn't de-emphasize the greatness of healing or uh, prophecy or faith. Because remember, we like to focus on healing, but what about the, the... Sometimes it's not a healing, it's a faith. You need a miracle or a faith in something that has nothing to do with a physical healing. So, yeah. Uh, Brother Ben, you were next. Hang on, Alex, you're fourth in line. Yep. But the same spirit. Yep. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. Yep. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Yep. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing each one individually as He wills. There you go. It's the same Spirit working all of us. That's right. And it's as He wills it. As He wills. As He wills it. I just want to get in line. All right, you're after Alex. Kyle, go ahead. I hope y'all are okay with this. No one's upset that we stopped right here again, right? We're not going to finish chapter 2. We won't get to chapter 3, so that's, I hope that's okay. But this is, I love this because we're learning. Need to bring class in. Yeah, bring, hey, they're doing the gifts of spirit. Kyle, go ahead. Take it away. I, I think we're strictly limited only by our own faith. Good. And, and I, I would concur with that. Limited by our own faith in the fact that our faith can't be greater than God's will. If that makes sense. I always got to qualify that. May Jesus said, pray his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So we can't pray. We can't, our faith can't override God's will. But I, I firmly be, believe that because I've always asked this question. And I don't want to make it all a matter of faith. So I'm not, I don't want to throw the baby out of the bathwater. And Alex, I haven't forgot you back there. You don't have to raise your hand again. But why then, my question is, and, 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 and I did my dissertation on this, and I'm not going to tell you I have a definite, hey, this is black and white answer. 
But if Jesus said that we were going to do, whether it's greater miracles or greater in the sense of more miracles, whichever the case may be, why aren't we seeing them? Is it God not wanting to? And if it's us, then what? Okay, let's be very transparent. Alice, keep that thought. Jim, keep your thought. But if, if it's not God, if we truly believe that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is still for today, and I know I say that in a questioning manner, I believe it is, but let's just, just go there, okay? If we, we believe it, we, we'll phrase it that way. Then, then why are we not still seeing the manifestations of the gifts? Now, we do in tongues interpretation, and I'm not here to shut down tongues interpretation, but I've said it from the pulpit, I'm being very transparent. And we do see the other gifts, but maybe we don't see them as obvious as we see tongues of interpretation. Because why? We see tongues of interpretation, everything stops. We see it in this setting. But why aren't we seeing more of the miracles or the healings or the operation of, of the gift of faith? It's just not talking about having faith. It's talking about a, a supernatural, spirit-filled power of faith. Why? So let's just banter that for just a minute. Why, why is your thoughts why we don't see that today? And don't just say, well, it's us. When, you, when we say it's us, in what aspect is it us? I think we've been, uh, I think, the, the Satan has uh, given, there's so much stuff that looks like healing that if we take things for granted. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, that is, it's, it is thrown out there that it says in Revelation that there's going to be, when the Christians are taken out of the world, there's going to be a great explanation of this event, and therefore it's all disguised by the fact that it really didn't happen. They just. Okay. Smoking daggers, mirrors, whatever you will. Yeah, not smoking daggers, smoking mirrors. Uh, and we know that Satan has a counterfeit for just about everything of God. And, and, and I concur with that. I concur with that. Okay. Anybody else before we go to Alex where we're backing up? But, all right. All right. Is, this, is this pertaining to what we're talking about now, Alex? It is. Okay. I don't want to lose my place in the No, you're not losing your place in the queue. Yeah. Yeah. Fellowship, yeah. It's faith. Um, yeah. We focus on tongues and interpretation because that's the quote unquote bread and butter of the Pentecostal movement. Right? It, it is and what we said identifies us separate from everybody else. Absolutely. Today. Yes. Yes. If you look at the history of the movement in the early days, we had the gifts were manifest, especially during the time of uh, the Welsh revival. Absolutely. I've got a great book that covers all the way from the time Christ ascended to, uh, well, it would be Brownsville that covers. Uh, the, the, the charismatic gifts in operation. You think it hasn't been around, but it has been. But go ahead, go ahead. So to say, I, 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 is my personal belief that it is not, it's not that the gifts don't, those other gifts don't move. It's just that we have grown so content with what we have currently that, again, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's a great thing. Why do we pursue that so hard? Do we pursue it for tongues? Or do we pursue it for what it is truly, which is the indwelling of the Spirit. The empowerment of the Spirit. To do whatever that He calls us to do, whether it's in the form of a spiritual gift or boldness to preach the gospel. Absolutely. Okay. So looking at what Paul says, what does Paul 
rather, rather you do something to edify. That's right. Right, because it edifies. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. To, to add on to that, though, it's. Um, hang on, that's going back to my other thing. Okay. All right. Anybody else on this this subject matter before we move back to where we was at? I hate to do it that way, but the only way we can we can. Okay, great, great. I love that. I get that. I get that. Also, when you get into a larger group, can I be honest with you? And one day, I hope we have this problem. When you get into a larger group, especially in the sense of Sunday morning, I'm speaking specifically about a, a large gathering, it's, hard to, it's going to be hard to operate in some of those gifts because why? It will bring confusion. And the reason why it will bring confusion, if you have 500 people in here and someone on that side starts speaking in tongues... Nobody's going to be able to understand or hear what's going on. So we'll, when we cross that bridge, we'll get more organized with it. In the sense of it won't be just a, hey, I, you know, it's going to have to be have a little bit more uh, structure. structure to word. I didn't want to say formality structure, but a- absolutely. Mary Lou, back to you. And then I'm going to say something, then we'll go back to Alex in the queue. You're after Alex. No, he was talking about that point. I'm talking about going back to the queue. I don't have no idea. Let me hear you speak, and then I'll let you speak, bro. Yeah, we are. We're well, rabbit hole, spirit led. I, I, I don't mind this. I think this is good. If it's something we need to fully understand, it is edification. This is learning. This is learning, and I, I, I love. Listen, not everybody's comfortable with this, and I know you guys could ask questions that I don't know the answer to. And some of y'all may think I, I know this. Why are we going over this? But not everybody, and that's what this is healthy about. But go, go ahead, brother, brother Mary Lou, sister Mary Lou. <laughs> Mother Mary Lou. Yes, that's exactly what that would be and what we'd have to end up doing, absolutely. But I also want to bring you back to this point. The original gifts, now there's nothing wrong with how we do things, but understand the way we do things isn't necessarily laid out in the Bible the way we do things. Not that we're wrong. They were homeschooled. They was home churched, rather. And what did Paul say? He says, when you show up, now we don't need more than two or three tongues and interpretations, but you need to come prepared to operate within your gift. Because why? The gifts, remember the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the initial reason was not the gifts. To be, give you the power of the Holy Spirit to be bold, to be a witness. Now the gifts are there. The side side of that, or the, the sidetrack to that is, that's to be bold and to witness to the unbeliever in the world. And be able to stand up against the persecution. That's right. But then the side, the benefit is the gifts given for what? The edification of the, the body. See? Alright, so... Okay, I'm getting there. You don't steal my thunder. Don't you steal my thunder. Brother Joe, and then I'm going to come to Brother Jim. I'm sorry, he's right there. I've got to give him, give him the floor. Everything. No, but you're, you're, you're a couple. And decent and in order. 
Yeah, and I'm, I don't want to chase this rabbit, but I'm going to say this. Sometimes the things that we do may not, we, we, we do things that aren't decent in an order under the guise of the Holy Spirit came upon me, but the Holy Spirit is never going to do anything that's going to offend the Father and bring things out of, out of order. That's why it has to be, there's God. And that's what, some of what Paul, that's what I say, Paul's not against tongues and interpretations in Corinthians. He's just saying, we got to get things. things some, you guys are out of control. We got to get some things in in order. And he gives us some rem, some framework. Matter of fact, he says, I, "I wish you spoke in tongues as much as I spoke speak in tongues." See, all right, brother Jim, because Alex is like ready to land the plane back here. We got to go way back to the beginning. All right. Yeah. yeah. We've gone down so many trails, but as far as why we don't see signs and wonders today. That's where I'm going to bring us back to. They should. They should be following it. I believe that. I believe that. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up the serpents. They, they shall take up the serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Period. Mm -hmm. In other words, there should be no doubt. That's right. So my question is, why do we not see it okay. if, if it's here? Now, in the spirit realm, uh, years ago, doing some study on the spirit realm, my question was, where did sickness come from? That was always my question. Where did sickness come from? Everybody had the same answer. It came through sin. And then all of a sudden, I didn't accept that. I said it had to come from somewhere. But what was kind of sent to me was everything that is here had to be created. And there's only one that can create. And that's God. Only God can create. And only God creates good. So is sickness good? No, it's not. So if it's not good, it's never been created. So where did it come from? It had to come from the sin side, which is the uh, which is satanic. Mm -hmm. So, but Satan, like you said, he's got an illusion for everything yeah. that God created. God did not create sin, but right. Satan, through his, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Absolutely, John ten ten. Then, you know, I go ahead and say it. Everything that is that kills, steals, and destroys is an illusion from Satan because he cannot create anything. Mm. And if he attacks the body in a certain way over and over and over, the first thing man does is they put a, they put a name to it. Well, that's cancer. Mm -hmm. So you no longer have a spiritual attack from the evil one. You have cancer. Mm. So it's been given a name and then we we bring it into the natural. Yeah, but I, I don't want to go down there. Okay. <laughs> Joey? My, my 
bird that was causing sin. Mm -hmm. In the garden, it God numbered man's days. Yep. And something had to kill us. Or else we would live forever. Yeah. My thinking on that is that this, this is part of the curse that came because of sin. Yeah. That came from God. But he said it was created by God. It had to be. But that that's when it happened to us. But I may be wrong. Okay. Alex, go ahead. I'm going to step into this and hope that it makes sense. So, um, if we look at Genesis and we look at the story of the fall of man, we do see, and, and I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing what some other theologians have you know, proposed, is that we do have the tree of life, right? And that after the fall of man, Adam and Eve are denied access to that tree. Mm -hmm. So there is a link there between longevity and the tree of life. Now, whether the tree is a literal tree or if it's a figure of speech for something that God bestows in his in, in the closeness between humanity and God, we could we could talk about that all day. But I think though, and this this is just something I just thought of, is that if Mankind was given or was allowed the capacity to die after their fall, after they were removed from the tree, then there had to be something that was they were created that had the potential for deterioration, maybe. And I don't, I mean, you also have to reconcile that pain existed prior to the fall, right? You may be thinking, whoa, where are you getting that from? And I was just reading here um, that when God is talking to Eve, it doesn't say, I will give you pain in childbirth. I will multiply hmm. the pain in childbirth. So, I mean, again, we could get into, and this is not necessarily something, this is all conjecture, but there has to be something, there, ha there has to be some sort of middle ground because I don't personally believe that God created sickness because why would God create sickness, right? It goes against His character. Right. I don't think, but I think He can. He He definitely permitted it. Right. And part of the fall. And I think that's what Brother Joey was trying to say. It wasn't that God says, "Okay, now you got. I'm giving this to you know." But the reality of it is, obedience, as I've always said. Uh, gives you the blessings, the cover, the grace of God. I call it the grace. It's, it all falls under grace. Disobedience. It's not the. It's like it says uh, when the children of Israel were led uh, by um, uh, Joshua uh, across the the, the uh, Jordan River, and they got on one mountain and the other, and they profess. And it said they repeated the blessings of God because it's what Moses told them to do. And then on the other one, they they repeated the curses of God. I never really liked that word. What do you mean curse? But really what it's talking about there, God doesn't curse us. What he does is he says, I lift, because you're in disobedience, I lift my hand of grace, protection, provision. And because of that, now you become subject to the curses or the fallen nature. You lack my protection, my provision, and, and so forth. That's the right word, consequence. Consequence, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So, all right. Anybody else? Brother Ben, you had your hand up. Go ahead. Hmm. That's what Unity, yeah. More than anything else in this day and age we live. 
And you know what I love about that? I mean, Jesus definitely said that these are the things, but then they stepped out in faith. And, here, and this is where, if you don't mind, can I, can I land the plane since it is, it is 7.30 and we'll just pick up, I'll look in my notes and we'll pick up next week. Or if y'all want to carry on after we're done, I just know some people, we need to make sure we go get our kids, those that have kids. And maybe no one in here has kids, but anyways. Uh, yeah, Cody has some, there we go. Um, they can keep them. They can keep them. <laughs> So there's a, there's a lot, after really, you know, asking God and having really heart to heart as I was working on my dissertation for, uh, for my graduate degree, you know, Lord, why, why don't we? Because if I'm going to be a Pentecostal preacher, pastor, I, I mean, with, without the gifts and operation, the power of the Holy Spirit, there is no Pentecost. In other words, Pentecost is a word, obviously we know that means 50 50th, all right, go back to the festival. But it changed its meaning when the, when the power of the Holy Spirit came on. By the way, it was the 50th day from Passover, which was the harvest. So it's interesting that Pentecost still means harvest, but it means harvest of souls and not, not harvest. And anyways, you see, you see the, the parallel there. But, it, but with, with, without the outpouring or the baptism of the Holy Spirit and without the the empowerment to be witnesses and to reach the lost, and without the power to make disciples, and without the power uh, of the gifts that the Spirit wants to give for the edification of the body, then Pentecost is just a title. And I really did. I asked God. And there's a lot of, mo- and many of you guys hit on a lot, some of the things that the Lord laid on my heart. But one thing, and Mary Lou kind of uh, alluded to it, my personal theology, my personal thoughts, okay, and you guys can banter this around your minds and think about it, I don't think we see the manifestations the way we do today. For one thing is because we don't need them. We do, but we don't perceive that we need them. Because today in in the counterfeit of God's provision for man, it's Satan saying you can provide for yourself. You want something, go get a loan. Go into debt, become slave to the debtor. You're sick. Go to a doctor. Not against total debt. I am against debt, but I understand, as I had a conversation with somebody today, sometimes with the cost of things, you, you, I get it. Right? But you don't want to be covered in debt. I don't, it's not that I don't believe in doctor's medication, but when, what's the first thing we do? We go, to the, yeah, we go to the doctor before we ever go to the elders and ask for prayer and anointing. See, And I'm not saying that's it in a nutshell. I, I think there's, that is an aspect of it. And so we don't really believe. So what happens is when you stop seeing, what, what was Thomas basing his faith upon when Jesus rose for that? He hadn't seen him. And he says, unless I see the, unless I see the evidence of him being alive, I'm not going to believe it. And I think what's happened to the Pentecostal church today, especially here in America, there are miracles taking place in these developing and third world countries that don't have a grocery store on every corner. They don't have, I mean, they don't have a bank to borrow money. They don't have doctors. If they do, they're witch doctors at best, right? I mean, all right, it's the fact that they, they are seeing miracles, so they believe in miracles. And, and, and which, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Or they're believing in the miracles, so they're seeing them. What happens to us is we're not seeing them because we're not necessarily believing for them. And why aren't we believing for them? Because we don't necessarily need them. Does that, does that make sense? I, that's not it. And that's not everything, obviously, to it. But I think that's a big part of it for our culture. Brother Joey? I think the answer to most wide open questions is that nobody wants to deny themselves. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Alex?
didn't want to make it about faith, but it is about obedience. It is about obedience. Right. Yeah. So while we may not be we may not be seeing as many gifts because there's not as much obedience to what God wants to do through his spirit, right? And that ties into the you know, the denying of self and also the need based on uh, based on circumstances, right? So I think it has a lot to do with we don't see the gifts as much because there's not as much people aren't as obedient as they used to be. Whereas in these third world countries, they're obedient. Their obedience is all they have. That's all they have. And God's all they have. Trust me, I've been to them. Brother Jim? Real quick. Sure. No. I was trying to put together a class on why do they believe that. That was the name of the class. Teaching how denominations believe. <clears throat> Went and met with a pastor run a large Baptist church here and I said one thing I cannot find is why Calvinists do not believe in signs and wonders for today. Right. And I, want, and I knew him personally so we just don't sit down and talk. He says well that's a problem. I said well how do you mean that's a problem? He said well he said just to share with you a lot of our missionaries over in foreign countries now whenever they read the word of God the people receive the word of God and they automatically stand on it before we have time to teach them. Yeah, and they take and faith, says, fa yeah, take it for face value. missionaries are reporting signs and wonders back to us. Absolutely. And he says, it's starting to affect our denomination. Praise God. And it's starting to affect some of our pastors there, especially our missionaries mm -hmm. who are seeing these undeveloped countries. And he, but he never did tell me why right. they didn't. But later on, I did find out why they they believe they believe signs and wonders are over. I did find find out why, but I won't go into it tonight. But that is getting to be a problem even with them. Yeah. Because of their missionaries. Yeah. Kyle, I'll let you have this last word. Blind faith and childlike nature. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Because the reality of it is is we another underlying problem is I think um, the enemy brings confusion, and he's definitely brought confusion as it pertains to the Pentecostal church within the Pentecostal church itself. And we stop seeking for the baptism. And what we have to understand about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you will never figure it out. You'll never fully understand it. There's, there's no way in my my finite mind I can even comprehend a, 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 one, a point zero 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 one of the mind of, of God and why he chose why he chose the Holy Spirit we, we get we have an under we, we understand why I mean we know it's okay it's for the empowerment of the believers to be witnesses yes all right but if that's the case why have we allowed the enemy to come and bring confusion and it's and, and, and so where we really don't seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, That's what my point is. And because we don't seek, we have fewer people that are actually operating within the power of the Holy Spirit. And maybe that's some of the reason why we're not seeing the manifestations. And I don't want to chase manifestations. I'm not chasing manifestations. I'm just ready for some relief and some healing and to come to the body of Christ. Some supernatural direction when we need wisdom and direction in our life. It's just not a, we get it all about the healing of the body. The reality of it is, if I die today, I'm going to heaven. I don't say don't pray for my healing if I'm sick. 
That's not the big picture. It's while I'm here, I also need the empowerment and the gifts so that why? On this journey, until God takes me home, I have those gifts so that I can, one, I can be a witness with boldness. We don't face it like they did in the New Testament, but one day we might in our lifetimes. I hope not. They, I know in, 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 in Afghanistan the Christians are. The boldness to what? I don't care if you take my life. I'm not denying my Lord and Savior. I don't know how many Christians today, and I, and I know it's a very broad statement, I don't know how many Christians today in America, if someone came up to their heads and said, deny Christ or you're going to die, how many of us would say, pull the trigger? I know we'd like to all say, oh, I know I would. Okay, how about this? They put a, they put a gun to your kid's head. Because that's really where that happened in Afghanistan. After the kids are dead, then they're killing the parents. They they are and 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 they, and many of them have lost their lives. Now I don't know the number. A lot of it's not getting out. They've shut a lot of infrastructure since our government's out. They've shut down a lot of uh, communications back and forth. So we don't know. But I, you, you hear my heart. But man, that's where we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so that we can be bold in the face of persecution. We can be bold as the government. It is a form of persecution as the government starts coming down upon our rights, uh, religious rights. That is, that is a form of persecution. I can see, we can, all, we can all see the handwriting on the wall as the government br- brings more and more control in and how we can now see as, as, as we, we look at through the, the filter of the Word of God and, and we see the book of Revelation, how can all this happen? We can now, we can draw a pretty good conclusion how the mark of the beast can be ushered in. And, and it's not just about currency. It could very well be about, are you immunized, right? I mean, you're not going to be able to get, have a job if you don't have the shot, or you're not going to be able to go to the grocery store if you don't have a shot. We're not going to deliver groceries to you if you don't have a shot. We can see, and I'm not putting panic or fear, but we can see that. We can see that. We can see with technology how we could actually have a mark, whether visible or not visible. I'm not going to split hairs. It could be. But I will tell you this. I want you Christians to hear me here tonight. I don't believe a Christian can take the mark of the beast, first of all, unknowingly. God is not going to trick us. He's not going to allow us to be tricked in that way. Now, we may knowingly do it and be blind to it, but I'm telling you, God's going to give, God's going to give His people wisdom there. And I also still want to believe, I'm still in the camp, I'm hoping, Lord, that we go pre-trib, and I'm believing and hoping that the mark will not actually be, according to Revelations, imparted until after the church is gone. But we see how we're getting up to that point, right? I know, I know, I, I, I'm believing in pre, pre-trib rapture, but I'm also hoping for pre-rib trap, right? Because we know there's, there's some scriptures like, well, we're not sure, but that's okay. That, that's to keep us on our toes, isn't it? That's to keep us on our toes, all right? All right, everybody okay tonight? Is everybody good? This, is a little, this has been fun. Well, it's, it's not stirring the pot, pot as much as it's making us Think and know why we believe what we believe. Right? Why do we believe what we believe? Amen. It's good to have Kyle here tonight. Let me pray over you guys. Bless you. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, that we, we can discuss your word, Lord, uh, as brothers and sisters, Lord, and not as, as, as combatants or enemies, Lord. It's about, really, God, about wanting to... F- God, just, you know my heart. I just want to know the truth. I want to know it. 
I, I, I don't want any doubt or any cloud in God. And I want to be able to communicate the truth without causing confusion, Lord. That's what tonight's been about, really looking at your word. And I thank you, God. And I'm praying tonight, Lord, as we leave, that we don't stop thinking about what we discussed tonight. But, Lord, you continue to, to feed into us, Lord. Your spirit continues to minister to us. As we work out these, your word tells us we should work out our salvation every day with fear and trembling, Lord. It's not that a fear of necessarily walking away from you, but, Lord, just... I don't want to make any mistakes. I don't want to be wrong. Lord, I want to, when I teach and talk to other people about you, Lord, I want to know God and have the confidence, Lord, that I am not preaching or teaching false heresy, God, and false teaching. And that's what tonight's about, Lord. I thank you for your word, the encouragement of your spirit, the, the banter and the encouragement, even the cutting up and picking at each other tonight, Lord. Thank you that we're here and being able to build relationships, God. Lord, they're not only... joining our podcast. Here at Bear Creek AG, our goal is to help others know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Have a great week. So what we're going to do tonight is we are going to finish up uh, chapter 6 of the book of Hebrews. But since uh, we, I was not teaching last week, it's been two weeks since we started the first half of it. So I don't want to reteach the first part of, of chapter 6 of Hebrews. But I think for the, the, the last part of this chapter to flow, I think it's important that we at least review uh, what the writer of Hebrews was telling us in the first 12 verses. So uh, in the very beginning, he's dealing with, he's saying, therefore, he's talking about in verse 5, he's talking about, uh, you know, just kind of a quick little backup. He, he talked about how Jesus is better, greater and better than angels and better than Moses. He's picking these things or people that, that uh, patriarchs that the, the, the Israelites, the Jewish people would revere and, and or worship. And, and, and so he's saying, hey, you know what? Jesus is better than them. And, and therefore, because he is, believing in him is better than going back to the old way. And he talks about there in verse 1 of chapter 6, says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teaching. He's talking about, listen, let, uh, if you remember right, we talked about how they were finding commonality with the, 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 Jude, the beliefs of Judaism, the, the old way the Jews believed with the sacrificial sacrifices and the law and things like that. And, and, he, and he said, listen, you're trying to find common ground with that, and that's not going to get you anywhere. So let's get beyond the, 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 the elementary, the ABCs of, of the foundation or the doctrine, and let's grow up. Let's mature. He's basically, look, it's time to mature. It's either believe what you're going to believe one way or believe the other way, but, you know, you can't believe both ways. And, and I think that speaks volumes today uh, for, for people that in uh, and, and church that, are, that profess Christ as Lord and Savior. We need to know what, I think doctrine is very important. Doctrine is what, what we believe the Bible, the principles of what the Bible stands upon. One of our doctrines is what? That Jesus is the only Son of God and He lived a sinless life and He died on the cross and He rose again. That's a doctrine. It's important that we, we, we believe these things and we build our lives upon these foundations. We need to grow up. And he says, don't lay again the foundation of repentance. In other words, he's saying, what you're doing is you're going back to the old ways of, of repenting and that led to death. Uh, because we know that the Old Testament way, the, the traditional or the ceremonial law of sacrifice did not bring 
salvation in the sense that we have through Christ today. It, the, each time they had to go back and kill another animal annually, and every time they sinned, they were supposed to do it. So it was a lot of just uh, this covering for a moment. It, it, it didn't. They weren't forgiven of their sins, but their sins were blotted out in the sense that uh, these animals. But they had to keep going back and doing. It. He's talking about listen, listen. Let's don't go back to things. Let's grow up. Let's get beyond the elementary principles and let's start growing in the Lord. Let's start going deeper. I think that speaks volumes to us today. We like to be spoon-fed. Christians Day are spoon-fed. I'm not knocking anybody for not being here. I know life is hectic. Schedules are busy. We have kids, so forth and so on. But a lot of times the reason why people don't want to come out on another night of the week is because they just don't want to go deeper in the Word. That's what tonight's about. I, this is challenging. The book of Hebrews, can I be honest with you? It's, it's one of the more challenging books I've ever studied. It is so rich in, in doctrine, but it also goes back to trying to bridge between Judaism and Christianity. Not really bridge between them, but show you how Christ fulfilled all those things in Judaism. And so with it, you've got to grasp it. I mean, next week we're going to talk about Melchizedek. I mean... I mean, you want to go ahead and study this guy because there's a lot to learn. And Brother Ben was talking about earlier about, man, there's, there's, this guy's a pretty unique guy that, that Christ is compared to. And, and so it's, it's, but we've got to go deeper is what I'm trying to say. So um, we, we, have to, we have to grow in the Lord. And then he goes, it's impossible. In verse 4, he talks about what's impossible. For those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the power of the coming. He's saying, he's saying, listen, all these things are great, but you know what? It's impossible even for those who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. And we talked about that a lot in Link two weeks ago, right? Yeah, well, because well, and I understand because we like I said, don't want to rehash it, but there's two major thoughts of of thinking, trains of thought, in, in mainstream Christianity today, and that's that of Arminianism, or Wesleyanism, or it's Calvinism. And Calvinism, as as we talked about, believes that you kind of have a free will, but you don't have a free will. You're you're predestined, you're preordained. Uh, so once you're saved, there's nothing you can do that disqualifies you in your salvation. But yet. If you look at Armenian or Wesleyanism, it, we know that you can. You can walk away from, I don't like the word lose. We use that, well, I've lost my son. No, you don't lose something, right? You don't lose your salvation, but you can walk away from it. I firmly believe you can walk away from it. Um, and so with that, but that scripture makes it hard for, for both camps. And that's what we talked about because how do you, how do you, because from an Armenian or Wesley viewpoint, we know that you can repent. You can find repentance and salvation. But yet, from a Calvinist standpoint, you can't. But that particular scripture kind of rubs both of them the wrong way or, or, or contradicts them. And so what we ended up camping on was this scripture here in verse 6 is written based on the first two or three verses of this chapter. And what he's saying is, what I believe he's saying is, is that the difficulty of this pastor is best understood in the context of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, where the writer to the Hebrews means that if they retreat back to Judaism, all religious repentance in the world would do nothing or no good. Calvinists believe you can't, uh, you can't become unsaved after saved. So that goes against everything. Uh, they believe, and then Armenianism and Wesleyanism believes that you can, but then it goes against it. So what's it based on? What he's saying is if you're going to go back to Judaism, if you're going to go back to the sacrificial sacrifice, if you're going to go back to sacrificing animals, then what he's saying is that, that there's no repentance for you because that's not repentance. 
Not since Christ came on the scene, see. Repentance only comes through Jesus Christ. When He shed His blood, it forgives our sins, and they're not remembered anymore. Old, Old Testament sacrifices, it didn't work that way, see. They, were, they were, went to a place of paradise until Christ died. He went into Shul, and He preached salvation, where then those people who were found righteous in, in God in the Old Testament, like Abraham, before there was a law, see, then they were then spirits released to go into heaven to be in the presence of the Lord. Okay, I just want to make sure because this is important for what we're talking about tonight. Any questions about that before we move forward? Are we all on the same page? Yes, no, don't care, lost you? So what do you believe about salvation? Let, let me just stop here for now. I don't want to spend too much time here. So what do you believe about salvation and based on what? What do you believe about whether you can be saved and then, then walk away from God or not? Where do you stand on that? And on, on what scripture do you base it? So you know that you have you you've been in a backslidden state with your relationship with God. Yeah. Okay. So you do believe it can it can happen, and you know it not necessarily from Scripture, although there are scriptures that support it, but you know it from experience. Right. See. Yeah. Good. Brother Jim, I know you're 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 just ready to go. Come on, enlighten us here this morning, because this is an area, this is an area that he is he's very versed in. I know he is, because we've had some good conversations with this. Personal experience, uh, raised in church, came to the Lord at an early age, and then just drifted away. I'd say, uh, but it it never left. But even to the point that even when I was in my twenties. And not not doing bad things, but just living a worldly life. Mm -hmm. And I found myself uh, all of a sudden not really being comfortable with my lifestyle. And all of a sudden, I really had a lot of fear mm -hmm. come over. You know, I could lose. And then, of course, after Cindy and I got married, we talked about it because we were both in this, living the same lifestyle and uh, we both we call it rededicated ourselves I, I basically yeah. said you know I was to the point there that I, I got saved again Sure, I, I feel that way but I, I just felt so strong that if I was to die during that period of time I doubt very seriously I would have made it to heaven Okay. I mean, I, I come to that point, and I think that's what drew me back. Yes. So strong. Absolutely. Was that was the Holy Spirit drawing you? Saying, absolutely. Hey, you're at this point. You got to make a decision. Yeah. And I think I was at that point to make a decision. Say no. I love my lifestyle more than I love God. Mm -hmm. I think I was at that point, and I said, Hey, I got to stop this. Yeah. I got to make things right. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, and so that's that's what the writer is dealing with with here. Um, and so we we have to challenge ourselves. What what do we believe about our salvation? And um, I will let you know because I think it's important that we know that I agree with the doctrine because I teach the doctrine and it's part of, of of what I believe. And it's the doctrine of the sins of God. We do we do believe that people can backslide. They can. Walk away from God and the relationship with God. It doesn't change God. I know a lot of folks use the scripture. Well, the Bible says that there's nowhere you can escape the love of God. And that is so true. But while I was yet a sinner, God's love reached out to me. See, 
even in my sinful state and unregenerated <clears throat> and unforgiven state. And so, so with it, and, and you, can, you can look at the teachings of Christ. And, you know, I, I don't want to just look at just the parables, but the parables are a big part. He taught us through parables so that we could understand. But whether it's the lost sheep, the lost coin, or the prodigal son, see, all three of those things were, were lost. And the son never stopped being the father's son, but he was not in relationship with his father. The ring wasn't on his finger. The sandals weren't on his shoe. The coat wasn't on their seat. And so there was a celebration. And even Jesus said, when one comes, the angels rejoice. So we, we know that that's what that's meaning. Brother Jim? No, one of the verses they used very strongly, Calvinists, and this is where the difference in theology comes in, is no man shall take you from my hand. They interpret that as you can't lose your salvation. Correct. No yeah. one can take your salvation. But we interpret that literally, that That's no right. man can take your salvation. That's right. Right. In other words, you can't lose, no one can cause you to lose your salvation. That is a free will. That's exactly decision, right. But it's, that's just the different ways that the denominations interpret that one scripture. Yeah. And uh, Brother Jim uh, has pointed out, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, or maybe it was in our private conversation. I know we talk a lot privately. Uh, but and he's so and he's so right on with this is that those who are Calvinists, who, those who believe once saved, always saved, that is that uh, that is the foundation of everything they build upon in their in their doctrine and what they preach and teach, and that's very important. Joey, I think where the real danger is, people don't understand this sometimes. Is I think Jesus will take you back as many times as the Holy Spirit will bring you to it. That's correct. But you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's right. And, and then you take in the scripture where it talks about those who are unrepented within the body of Christ. And what does it say? It says, take them and discard them into, y'all know the term, to Satan. In other words, release them from the body, kind of exclude them from the body if they're not willing to repent and, and start living according to God's plan for them. So that what? So that by doing that, the attention, their attention has gotten so they can return to the Lord. I mean, it's, it's very explicit. So, it's also, for another reason, they won't bring sin into the church. They won't bring sin to the church, absolutely, yeah. yeah. A lot of people don't look at that aspect of the body, but yeah, it's, we're, we're, you're an individual, but you're part of a body that's part of a bigger body. And uh, yeah, you're, the sin that you bring in, although it's not, it does, it's not held against us in the sense that God's going to hold your sin against against me and my judgment day, but what it does do, it prevents this body from being the bride that we're present, and it limits us what we can do in this body as far as ministering within the four walls and outside the four walls, because sin in your life is going to hinder you from having the anointing of God to do and fulfill the plans He has for you. See, so. Absolutely. I mean, have you ever had an infection but not known where the infection was, but it made your whole body weak and sick and aching and feverish? It, that, that's it. And, so, you know, there's some Sundays you may hear somebody or you may hear me say, there's been some Sundays recently where I felt like there was a hindrance in, in our Sunday morning service. Not knowing who, what, or what it was. We know it's, 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 it's demonic or sinful, which sinfulness is demonic in its sense, uh, that there's something or somebody, something is 
keeping back. And it can be an attitude. It could be somebody grieving the Holy Spirit. It could be somebody who openly living in sin and, and but hiding it. You know, in other words, they know what they're doing and they're hiding it and coming in. And it, and it, and it can. It can definitely cause an atmosphere uh, where God cannot uh, do what He needs to do. And it's amazing um, that often we'll have tongues and interpretation, the gifts in operation. And I've heard it many times where there's actually a call out to the body to why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep living this way? And you know, you often wonder, well, why is that message keep being repeated over and over again? Well, I can tell you why. Same reason why there's a message repeated over here. Do you not see me here? Do you not see I'm here today? I'm here to encourage you. It's because we got people who are discouraged so that God, the Holy Spirit, is trying to encourage us. But we also have people walking in who are living in open rebellion against God and the Holy Spirit. You come here. If two or three are gathered in His name and He's in our midst, there's a supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit. He's going to point out sin. He's going to point out sin. There's going to be conviction. And sometimes he uses the gifts in operation to, to get our attention. So, all right. Good, good. It's, uh, it's, uh, one thing to know God, but it's far more to really know God. A lot of people get that taste. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of, like Brother Jim said, we go back. And some of us never return back to that taste yeah. that we got initially. Yeah. Changing your mind. Softball, basketball, overnight, every bit of that was taken, and I did not miss anything. Yeah, yeah. When God does Once you ta- well, and, and the writer of Hebrews, didn't he not just say that? He says, you've been enlightened. Look at all the things he describes there. We just talk, we didn't go into detail tonight, but we did two weeks ago. That's what he's talking about. How can, you, how can you experience the presence of the living Lord in your life and then go back the way you, you were? There's a problem with that, and that's what he's talking about. You can repent, but you're going back the way you were. You're going back to the old form of religion, there's no salvation in religion. I'll say it again. There's no salvation in the sins of God. There's not. There's salvation in Christ Jesus with a relationship, but there's not being a member of this church. Doesn't okay, I'm going to, being baptized in water doesn't mean you're going to heaven. It's an outward expression of what should have taken place, but I know people have who have been baptized in and then they fell back out, uh, out of relationship. So anyway, but point being is that's, that's what absolutely taste of me, see that I'm good. And once we do that, how, how that, and that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about believers. He's talking to believers. He's not talking to the lost here. He's talking to the church. And how does that speak to us today? How can you taste of this and then go back to living the way you were? I can't, don't get caught up in the religiosity. Uh, you know, there should be doctrine. There should be form. I believe in form. I believe in methods. The Methodists, are, you know, that's where the name Methodist came from. The Methodists are very good. Uh, they, they gave method and meaning and teaching and, and organization to the church. That's good. We need that. But don't get so caught up in the, in, in, in the name on the door as much as whose name is written across your heart. See, and, that, and that's what he's talking about. You have encountered this. You know it. This wasn't, this, to these folks, it wasn't just you heard about Jesus. They had an encounter. I mean, go back. I've got it written down here. What, what, what did he say here? Let me find my notes here. I got them here. I wasn't planning to talk about it, but this is where we're going. Where did my notes go? He talks about enlightenment. He talks about, um, here we go. He talked about enlightenment. He talked about tasting. He talked about shared in the Holy Spirit. Tasted the goodness of the Word of God, the powers of the age to come. This is what, they're over in verse 5, this is what they encountered. And then he goes on and says, and who have fallen away? To be brought, this is impossible. It's impossible for you to encounter. How is it possible for you to encounter the living God and then go back to living the way you lived? How is that possible? It's not possible. 
It can't be possible for you to do that. And that's the argument he's fighting because he's trying to encourage these Christians. He's not trying to degrade them. He's not trying to put them down. He's not trying to make it. Matter of fact, we're going to be talking about hope tonight. He's not trying to make it hopeless in the sense of there's no hope. He's just trying to get their attention. And it wasn't false. Uh, he wasn't like saying something that wasn't. Some people believe, well, he was just saying things that couldn't be possible. Then, then he's lying. Now our writer's lying. So how good is he if he's lying? No, it's very possible what he's talking about doing. And he's saying, but that ought not to be so. Okay. Then he goes on, we'll keep going. In verse 7, it, he, he shows this, the serious consequences of falling away. And you can read through that for, you, for yourself if you need to. But he thought there's consequences to this, right? The, the rain, if, if the fall, water falls on the crops, the ground, there should be a pr product. There should be something produced. Otherwise, it's wasted. If it's thistles and thorns, it's worthless. So there needs to be a, a, a crop produced in your life, okay? Um, then he goes on to verse 10, and he's encouraging and coaching, um, urging believers to press on. He says, no, keep going. If you've encountered this, don't forget. God's not going to forget your work. He's not going to forget the love you've shown towards Him. Keep going. Don't give up, right? He will remember your good work. So press forward until the end, okay? Imitating the one who gave us all for you. And that brings us to where we're at tonight in verse 13, okay? So let's look at that. Hopefully I didn't spend too much of our time on that. No, we got time. we got 30 minutes, so this is good. So verse 13, he says, When God made His promise to Abraham, remember we're talking to Jews here, Abraham's a very important figure, he's the father of their faith, by the way, he's the father of our faith, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received that, was, that which was promised, or that was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all arguments. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of His purpose very clear, key word there, to the heirs of what was promised, He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to the, take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly in Encouraged, greatly encouraged there. So he's encouraging us, or the reader here, he's encouraging them. So what's he say? God came through for Abraham, even sealing his promise with what? With an oath, right? In fact, because he swore by no one greater, he swore by himself. The oath showed that, that God's promise, just like his character, may I say, are unchangeable. They're unchangeable. God cannot change. I kind of said this Sunday, you know what God can't change? Any idea? Why can't God change? I said this Sunday. I just said it in spirit. What's that? You listened. Or you knew that. Think, think about that for just a minute. If God's perfect, if He changes, then He becomes imperfect. And it's also talking about telling the truth. God can't lie. Why can't He lie? Because He is the truth. And He can't do but speak the truth. He, because He is truth. And so in this, there's two unchangeable things. And that's God's promises and an oath that God makes. And there is a difference. We won't break down the difference. They're, they're very similar. But that's what the two unchangeable things they talk about. The promise and the oath. What, what was the promise to Abraham? Come on. The father of many nations. And he'd have abs, absolutely. It's, it'd be the, as number as the stars in the sky and the sands on the beach, right? Did he have that many sons? 
He, and we are part of Abraham's seed. Absolutely. Think about, think about how many people who have been born in the faith uh, since Abraham. Abs- absolutely. I think, I think that, you know, in other words, that's the way that the Bible used to say you can't number them. Don't get caught up. In, it just means you can't number them. Have you, have you, I love this time of the year. I love, the other night, uh, Monday night, we went out, Trevor and I went outside in the cool of the night trying to see the, was it SpaceX? We heard the boom, but we never saw the rocket, all right? But I was just took notion, I said, Trevor, just look up there because this time of the year, because there's very little humidity because the heat's down and all, the sky is just lit up with, if Panama City would just turn their lights off. We could have seen a lot more, but it's just beautiful. I remember when the, after the hurricane hit, one of the benefits after the hurricane, yes, benefits and all things, be thankful. That's what I'm going to be preaching about this Sunday. It, we had no electricity. Was the, the nights were dark, but the skies were so full of God's creation. Unbelievable. That's, that's God's promise to Abraham, that that's how many. And so that's it. He's unchangeable. God's promise is God's oath. It's impossible for God to lie in either of these two things. So that's why we can have faith in what God says. And that's why he, he's telling the writers, you can have faith. If God promised that to Abraham, you're part of the seed. And the same promise he made Abraham, he's made to you. It's your promise as well. And, and that's how, how are the promises Old Testament ours? Because we're part of Abraham's seed. We're part of God's people. And God's promises are yes and amen. And because of that, we can stand upon it. Now, some of His promises have precursors to them, but we're not talking about that tonight. We're just talking about we can count it. God says, you do what you said. You, you, if you do what you're supposed to do, I'm going to do what I said I'll do. That's, that's how God operates. It's a cause and effect. But we're also grafted into Absolutely. He can prune us off when he wants to well, He is the vine dresser. Absolutely. He is the vine dresser. And, and so this is what he said. Now, now he encourages the reader by reminding them that Jesus will lead them into glory. Listen to what he says in verse, verse 19. Let me find my place here. We have this hope as an now we have this hope as an as an anchor for the soul. What is the hope that we have an anchor for the soul? The promises. God's oath to us, God's promise to us, the fact that what God told Abraham, we can count on God's word. All right? Firm and secure. Understand the terms he's using. All this is an England translation from the Hebrew, but it means strong, okay? It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Now what's he talking about? He's not talking about the temple here, is he? He's talking about what? The throne room of God. Absolutely, because the temple... Remember, don't go back to the old way of, of worship. He's talking about the new way of worship. Christ is a sacrificial lamb. He's our high priest. He goes in beyond the veil. That's what he's talking about here. So it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We'll talk about who Melchizedek is next week, God willing. But that's powerful. Let me ask you something. What do you know about an anchor? Let's talk about an anchor for just a minute, because this really will bring uh, God's Word into to, to a strong reflection of, of what He wants us to understand. What do you know about an anchor? Tell me about a, a standard anchor. Not the Word of God. What do you know about a boat anchor, ship anchor? It holds steadfast. It holds steadfast. It's heavy. It's heavy. It doesn't float. It doesn't float. Okay. John Beard? It doesn't let you move. Anybody else? Okay. That's good. No, no, no. I want you. The anchor was a common figure for hope in the ancient world. Here's the idea is here the idea is that we are holding the anchor we are anchored to something firm, but guess what? It's unseen. 
You ever think of that about an anchor? When do you see an anchor? When it's on the deck or when it's hanging off the side of the ship, defined on the side of the ship. But when you're using it, it's usually unseen, isn't it? You don't need an anchor for calm seas, do you? Now, I know in theory, in a real ship, when you're anchored somewhere or when you're in port, you, you do. But really, you, in their concept, you don't need an anchor except, I mean, you don't need an anchor in, in calm seas, right? In the seas when you're out. You don't, you don't need that anchor, okay? The rougher the weather, the more important your anchor is. Understand the concept of what he's saying here in reflection of the hermeneutics of that time. Remember, they're wavering between do we follow the ways of Christ that, that we've been taught by the apostles or we fall back on what we learned as children with Judaism and tradition and, and sacrificial worship. Okay? We're being persecuted because we've left the faith of Judaism. We're no longer practicing Jews in that sense, so we're being persecuted. We've lost family that have not followed us in the faith of Christ. We, we may have lost business. We may have lost jobs. We've been disowned by friends. I mean, this was a big deal. This is a really big deal. I mean, go ahead, Brother Jim. One thing an anchor does is whenever you place your anchor, it will always hold you into the wind, put the bow into the waves, so that it will ride the storm out. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the picture he's given us. That's what he's saying. And that is what? The Word of God. It's Jesus, but it's what we know based on the Word of God. This is Christ. We realize this. We don't worship this book as a God, but it definitely tells us who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is. So when we, we need an anchor to hold the ship and keep it from being wrecked, don't we? Jesus and His Word will hold you in the storms and keep you from being wrecked. See? Or how about this? We need the anchor to stabilize the ship and keep it more comfortable for those on board during a storm. It keeps us steady during a storm. Right? I like this. We need the anchor to allow the ship to maintain the progress it has made. If you're going somewhere and a storm hits, you anchor to keep from going and losing, I can't say ground because it's the ocean, but progress, right? Yeah. And that, that's what it does. It's, it, it, this, this book, for somebody who is a newborn Christian, it will guide them. It's as deep as the person's able to handle. That's why I'm saying, you want to go deeper in the Word? Ask God to help you. And then, as you grow in the Lord, the same scripture you read last week as a newborn babe in Christ, this week is going to have so much more revelation to you. Because it's alive. It's alive. And so, the anchor's important. The ship must have hold of the anchor. The ship must have hold of the anchor, even as we must lay hold of what? Hope. Hope in what? The promises of God. Even in the Old Testament, they knew a Messiah was coming. The New Testament hadn't really been written. They had the letters, but it wasn't in written form. If they were truly Judaizers or people raised in Judaism, they, they knew the coming Messiah. These Christians, by the fact that they received Christ as Savior, acknowledged Jesus as being Messiah. And so he said, you have to take hold of this. Even as we must lay hold of the hope. This is our hope. The anchor itself may have a strong grip and be secured to the ocean floor, yet it isn't securely attached to the ship. It is of no use. If you have one, have you ever thrown an anchor and forgot to tie it off? I have. Let it go and said, oh, we haven't tied it off to the boat. Lost an anchor. It was no use to me, see? We, it, you, have, it has, you have to have hold 
of the anchor. Okay? But, always no use. But there's also a sense in which the anchor has to have hold of the ship. You have to have hold of this. You have to have hold of Jesus. But in the same way, it has to have hold of you. Isn't that that's a neat analogy, isn't it? You better have hope. Your hope is in Christ. You better have hope. In, you better be anchored in Christ, but He better be anchored in you. So you better be attached. It's a two-way, it's a two-way uh, relationship. Okay? Even as hope has hold of you. What is hope? Can we just take a minute and talk about what hope is? What's your definition of hope? The Bible talks a lot about it. It's a type of faith, isn't it? Things hope for. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. So, you know, there's, a, there's some debate. Can you have faith without hope? And I, I don't think you can have faith without hope because I believe hope is a precursor to faith. You have to have hope in something before you can ever have faith in something. If I have hope, in, I, buy an, I buy an anchor and hope that if I need it, it's going to work. When does my faith come into operation? When I need it and I put it into operation, right? Yeah, that, you're right. The hope, the hope is a precursor, but you can't have one without... The, you can have hope and a little bit of faith, but you can't have faith without hope. My hope is in Christ alone. Therefore, I place my faith in Him. There is a difference. And, it, and it's kind of hard to understand, but just think about that concept. I used to teach kids at Children's Church that hope is the rope that brings faith into operation. You know why people kill themselves, suicide? They've lost all hope. So therefore they have no faith in the purpose and the meaning of their life. Brother Jim? I think there's a step. You have hope. Mm-hmm. You buy the anchor and you hope it'll hold. Then when you use it, you have faith that it holds. Once you see that it does hold, yeah, your faith. then you have belief. You got the belief, the confidence, so absolutely. Hope, faith, belief. Yeah, yeah. You got to have the right hope and the right size anchor. Because if you buy a bigger anchor, you got a small. Right. That's the reason why. That's the reason why I'm anchored in this because you can't get a bigger anchor than this. You can look at other books who complement the Bible, but you better be anchored in the Word. You can listen to other people who may teach and preach. I hope you have. I hope you have faith and confidence in me. But you better be anchored in this, because otherwise, I, I could lead you astray, couldn't I? I mean, not intentionally, but I could. Josh. So this is kind of leading off into some things that I'm dealing with with certain members of my family. So how do you explain when you have hope the anchor works, and you use the anchor, and you have faith that's going to work, and the rope snaps? How do you? Well, I, I would ask this. I, I, I don't. I don't. I believe if you there again, you have to. You have to have hope that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is real. Which means I have to have hope this word is this true because everything we know about Jesus is in here. I can't go by hearsay. That's why I said earlier. What do you believe about salvation? Can you? Do you feel like that you can walk away from God based on what? I don't want to just hear your opinion based based on what. And Gerald, he said, based on my experience, I'm okay with experience, with the exception of you've got to be careful that experience doesn't override what the Word of God says, okay? So, Josh, my question to you is, if, if you truly have faith in the Word of God and, the, and, and our hope, and now they're believing in Jesus, remember, I, 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 I'm in a bad place. I hope, I have nowhere to turn, so I'm, 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 I hope that Jesus can help me. The only way I can know is I have to put faith in Jesus, and I'll put my faith in Jesus, and you say the rope broke. I would argue, did the rope really break? If you're serving Christ and you're believing on Him, then the rope can't break because the rope is God's plan. Right. His promises are yes and amen. Pleasant, 
Now, whether it was pleasant to you or unpleasant, no. if you're serving God, chances are it was God's plan for that thing to happen. All right. And we also have to remember this, okay? We're, we, we are going, and I'm okay with this, Josh, because I, I, know, I know what you're going through, and I want to help you with this, so I'm going to get up and walk around because I get more comfortable when I walk around. Um, now what was my train of thought here? When we, when we do things outside the will of God, and you've heard me say this so many times before, and, and, and I believe it's so true. When we step outside the will of God, either we're not serving God or we are serving God, we've received Christ, but yet we've, we've made a choice to go down a path. It doesn't even have to be sinful, but a path that's not God's will. I guess that would be sinful. But let's face it, we do some things, some things unknowingly, don't we? We don't know if this is God's will. I'm, I'm going to boom and boom, and then there's repercussions. If it's, it, God's not obligated to fix the messes that we create. He is obligated to fix the messes that He creates, but I wouldn't call them messes as much as His will to be done here on earth as is in heaven. And so in the case with your situation with your family, um, I, I, would, I would argue, first of all, I would say this. I'm not going to say God won't fix that situation, but He may not do it the way you or your family foresees it needing to be done. I, I don't want to go into your details, okay? But you, you, what's got to be determined is what is, what is best, what is God's will. And I hate to say best, but what is God's will in the circumstance, which should be for your best and this family member's best, and this other family member's best, and this other family member's best, and this other family member's best, right? Because there's several, sister, brother, all these folks are involved, uh, grandmother. And so, so with that, I, I would say that for you, you know your hope is in Christ and Christ alone, so therefore you've placed your faith and your trust in Him, you're anchored to Him. Then, based on that, you have to do as you are led by the Holy Spirit to do, and, and I don't want to say it always has to be in your best interest or your family's best interest, talking about your immediate family, wife, and children. But that has to be a consideration in every decision you make. Whether it's when we take vacation, where we go on vacation, what we do with our spare time, whether I change jobs, what church we attend. I mean, it's all, it's all got to be according to God's Word. But, it's, but it's, you want to be in line with God's plan because if you are, then, then God's got your best interest at heart. And in the case of this situation... I think you're dealing with some, some things that's happened that wasn't God's will. You have no control over that. And to some degree, even this other family member, this brother, don't have control over that. But nonetheless, it's where you are. He has to put, he knows, he knows what he wants, but is what he wants really what's best? I don't know. It's not for me to say. But that may be why the rope seems to be snapped. Because he's looking at it from his perspective and what's best for him out of maybe even selfishness. And I understand why. Like I said, I know it sounds very vague what I'm talking about. I just don't want to go into the personal situation. But from my perspective, I can see why he would want it done this way. Because it benefits him because of that relationship. The reality of it is, if what's happening is happening, no matter what place, then that particular person needs Help that cannot be provided by you, can't be provided by your brother, can't be provided by your grandmother or his grandmother, your sister, da-da-da-da-da. I don't know if that's helping you or not. It appears that the rope is snapped, but if truly faith is in Christ and His Word, and you're living by, by the Word of God and you're trusting the Lord, then I don't see how the rope can snap. Does that mean everything goes well? No. Look at Job's life. Did, did, the, did the rope snap with Job? 
Come on. Did the rope snap with Job? He was anchored in God. This was before Christ, but he was anchored in God. He was anchored in the Word of God. Well, in fact, we can't even say he was anchored in the Word of God because this is before the Word of God was even written. But he's anchored in what the relationship he had with God. Just like Abraham. He didn't have the Word of God other than God spoke to him. That's the only word he had of what God spoke to him. He had a very small Bible. All right? God said, go. Where am I going? Don't worry about where you're going. Just go. Leave Atlanta Erring. Just go. And I'll tell you when to stop. By his faith, that was, that was accounted unto Abraham, we're going to find out later in Hebrews, as what? Righteousness. What is righteousness? Right standing. Abraham was not saved by sacrificial, uh, sacrificing animals. He was saved just like the animals in the Old Testament are saved. But what, what brought people forgiveness? Their faith in the death of that animal, the sacrifice, is what brought them their, their, their forgiveness or their salvation. Is this making sense? I'm going very fast. I know. I just want to make sure you're grabbing this. So at the end of the day, when Job, Job lost everything, everything, everything but his wife and his, his own life, but he was covered in boils. He was painful, just oozing and pus coming off all of these sores. I mean, just grasp the pitcher. His three friends come around. Whoa, it's you. You've sinned against God. You know, he starts feeling sorry for himself. He finally has one wise friend shows up and says, you guys get off his back. But even he wasn't totally accurate. And God finally shows up. And he says, what, Job, did you tell me? Tell me how I created everything. You know everything, right? Come on. You think you've got this figured out. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And at the end of the day, what Job began when things got bad, saying, I came to the world naked, I leave this world naked, right? And at the end of the book, he says, I'm not sure about anything anymore, but this I do know. This is where my hope is. My Redeemer liveth. I, I don't know what this world's going to bring me. I don't know how old I'm going to live. I don't know how long I'm going to live. I don't know how my health's going to be. I don't know. These, these, there's some uncertainty of that. But one thing I do know, what am I anchored in? My hope and my anchor, my faith is in Jesus Christ. And I know my Redeemer liveth. Brother Ben? You know, Pastor Tony, sometimes when the rope breaks, we forget where the rope broke at and what broke the rope. Yes. If we can ever go back to the That's good. and rebuild what that rope was doing for a us. Absolutely. Yeah. It's good. Yep, that's good. Cody? If I may, uh, from personal experience, uh, I've been in a place where I lost my hope, which is the road, and at that point, I chose to untie myself from the anchor. Yeah. And you severed it. I suffered, and my life got harder from that point, and that was. This, in my case, it was my fault because I chose to walk away. I was in a bad place, and I got angry, and I didn't see where there was any help coming my way. So I said, this anchor's not helping me. I'm going to untie from it and see where the breeze blows from it. I tried on my own. And I flew around, and there were waves, and I was tossed, and it was scary. And God helped me. I finally found my rope again and tied off. Yeah. And you know what? I was still in a storm for a while. Absolutely. Good. Good picture. by the waves, but instead of going backwards and continuing to be astray, I was anchored in place and safe until the waves calmed. Absolutely. And I came to a place where I had That's good. Peace That's good. That's very good. Yeah, both those are good, but Brother Ben and Brother Cody just said very good. Yeah. Brother Gerald? <laughs> sure, I do. <laughs> and I hope I tied it off. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Spurgeon said this. 
I, I like Spurgeon. He says, well, I like some of his writings. Anyways, he says, our anchor is like every other. When it is of any use, it's out of sight. When a man sees the anchor, it is doing nothing, unless it happens to be some small steam anchor or grapnel in shallow water. When the anchor is of use, it's gone. There it went, overboard with a splash, far down there. I hope my rope's long enough, right, Brother Gerald? All among the fish lies the iron, hold fast, quiet, out of sight. Where is your hope, brother? Do you believe because you can see? That is not believing at all. Your anchor's at work. You don't see it, but you better have faith you in it. You test the length of your rope, though. The, the top, Absolutely. The side, though. Absolutely. Well, and here's the thing I found. You don't want your anchor rope too tight. But that's a story for another time. So, This confidence, anchor-like hope sees us into the very presence of God. Hope is exactly the medicine discouraging Christians need. It is. It's what we all need. There's times I, there's times I get beat up and I get tired and the waves beat and... I gotta, I, I've got to look at that rope that I know that I'm anchored to, that there's an anchor there in Jesus, and just say, okay, my, hope's in, my hope is in the Word of God. I stand on the Word of God. At the end of the day, this, this does not change. God does not change. And I, I can depend on His promises. They're yes and amen. And that's exactly what He's trying to say. Don't lose hope. He's telling to these Christians, these Jewish Christians, don't lose hope. Don't go back. Don't go back to where you was at. I promise you, this anchor is going to hold. He'll see you through. The Old, the Old Testament priest did not go behind the veil as a forerunner. I love that word. He talks about a forerunner, but as a representative. They represented, the high priest represented the Jewish people before God. But that's not what this writer is saying. He's saying forerunner. Jesus is our forerunner. A forerunner goes where he knows others will follow. He's going where he knows we're going to follow. Where's he at? Revelation Revelation 5. He's the lamb that appears to be slain from the foundation world. He's in the center of the throne of God. He's in the throne room of God. He sits on the throne. It says says that he's he's at the right hand of the Father, but the accurate translation of that from Greek to English is he's sitting on the Father. He's literally sitting on the throne of God. And in Revelation 5, even emphatically proves that. If you go there, it says he's sitting in the middle of the throne. He's standing, actually, in the middle of the throne. And he's the forerunner. That's where we're going. Read Revelation chapter 4. God called, called uh, John up, and he went up there, and he says, I was in this great room, and there was a sea of, looked like crystal, and there was an a, a, a emerald rainbow, and there was this, this, this throne, and there was four creatures, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, who is God, 24 smaller thrones with 24 elders who were wearing crowns, and every time the four beasts cried out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, these four, 24 elders would get up, and they'd take their crowns off and cast them down, and they'd, follow, they'd kneel before the throne. This is the throne room of God. And then in 5, it talks about, then I saw a lamb. You remember that, don't you? From the, the, the funeral, I hope you do. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, Melanie, didn't mean to put you on the spot. I preached that this past, uh, what, Saturday, wasn't it? What day was that? Saturday, yeah. Yeah, that's why it's so fresh on my mind. But yeah, I mean, that's, 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 that's where our hope is anchored at. And that's what the, he's, he's a forerunner. We're to follow him. We should follow hard after Jesus and run hard after Him. He has gone before us, and He is our pattern. Jesus is the pattern. We are supposed to be transformed into the image of Jesus. And I think I'm done. I'm just looking for the rest of my notes. But that's where we're supposed to be anchored in, in Jesus. 
He is the forerunner. He is the pattern of our life. We're to be transformed. We, we, we're, I won't say we're supposed to be physically look like Jesus. I'm not trying to say we need to grow beards and let our hair grow up or whatever Jesus looked like. Actually, actually, they make Jesus out to be a very handsome, handsome man. The reality of he was very common. He was very common. Actually, uh, he's kind of homely if you look at the real definition of the words used to describe at the, the prophecies about him. Um, scorned, I mean, actually. So, but, um, but he's who we're supposed to model after. He's, he's, he's our example. He's our standard. Not me. I do want you to follow me. As Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. But don't follow me, just follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. Let's all be anchored. Tie on to that anchor called Jesus. Because when the storms roll, and the waves roll, and the storms and the wind. I, Trevor and I the other night watched because he had never seen it. The Perfect Storm. Y'all seen that movie? Based, it's based on a true story. The Perfect Storm. That was it, yeah, 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 for real. But yeah, the perfect storm. And but yet, um, you know, when we're anchored in Jesus, no matter how big the waves, I'm anchored in Jesus. The storms of life I'll brave. Now I know I'm not a singer. I'm anchored in Jesus. I fear no wind or wave. Oh, I'm anchored in Jesus. The storms of life. No, I messed it up. I'm anchored to the rock of ages. Sorry, I forgot that part. But yeah, be anchored to him. Tie on to that anchor. Tie on to that anchor. Don't go back. Don't go back. Josh, don't go back. Don't go back. Cody, right? You've learned. You've learned. You've learned the hard way. Don't go back. I've learned the hard way. I'm not, I'm not innocent. I've, I've, I've backslidden. I've gone back to my old ways. And you know what? You know what? Whether, whether I created the storm or didn't create the storm, I think I did just like you said you did, Cody. I'm thankful for the storm. Because what did the storm do for me? It made me realize I need an anchor. That's what storms are about. I'm going to be talking and preaching this Sunday about Thanksgiving and some and about trials. What's, what is the purpose of trials? Come on, Bible scholars. What's the purpose of trials? Makes you stronger. And, and we're supposed to be thankful in all things. Even the trials that we go through. Because why? God's doing something through the trial. He's growing our faith. We're becoming stronger. Absolutely, absolutely. Brother Jim, do you have a comment? When the rope breaks. Yes, sir. I've, I've spent a lot of time out there anchored up offshore. And there were times that we would wake up and it would be rough. A storm would come in at night. And we would think that the anchor had uh, Held. something had happened. Yeah. But what it was was the wind was blowing from one direction. The tide was running in another direction. And it put us in the trough. Uh-huh. And it was almost like that's what happens to any vessel that's not anchored up is it would go in the trough and go sideways. But the the rope was still there. Yes. It was rough and we had to endure it till the till the situation changed. But the rope was always still there. We were still right where we were when we anchored up. It was just rough. Just rough, yeah. It was just rough. Yeah. It's good. All right. Stay anchored. Tie that rope or chain. I like the idea of a chain when it comes to an anchor. Uh, don't break quite as easy as a rope. But yeah, what are you anchored in? That's a good question to ask. What are you, are you, 
You anchored in yourself, your ability, your wisdom, your knowledge, your job, your 401k. What, what's your faith in? Jane's statement was pretty good for you, actually. What, what is your ability? Uh, mm -hmm. do, you, do you, you got your anchor held down there with a thin fishing line? Yeah. You better, yeah, your hope better be strong and your faith stronger. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me pray over you. And uh, we got a few minutes here. If you guys want to fellowship, we can do that. Father, thank you, Lord, for just taking over the Bible study tonight and just opening up our hearts. God, I, I know this is for me tonight, if nobody else, but I believe it's for everybody, God, even those who might be listening right now on the podcast later, Father. And I do. I just pray, God, that just like you filled this room tonight with the presence of your Holy Spirit and just guided our conversation, the reading and the teaching of your word, uh, Lord, I, I pray for those who may be listening uh, remotely, God, that it does the same for them right now in the name of Jesus, God. There's times, Lord, that life gets tough. There's times, Lord, it gets rough. And, and God, I'll be honest with you, we've been through a lot in the last couple of years. And, and I, Lord, I don't want to be a naysayer. I want to be positive. I believe in the glass being half full, not half empty. But the reality of it is, God, things are a little rougher and tougher now than they've been in a long time. And I think they're going to get worse from what, from what all the forecasts are, God. And Lord, if, even if that's not true, Lord, we know eventually things are going to get worse because your word tells us it will. And so I, I pray that for all of us tonight, God, that we are confident that we know who the anchor is, what we're tied to, God, that that hope, God, will be, bring forth our faith in that anchor, Lord, regardless of what the times bring, regardless of what the storms may come, God, regardless of what may be left out, Lord, taken away. Lord, regardless, Father, Lord, may we be like Job, at the end of the day, we may not know what tomorrow holds. We may not know, God, how we're going to do it, how we're going to make it. That's not the point. May we all know, God, that our Redeemer liveth, God. Jesus is alive. He's our anchor. And we put our trust and our hope in Him and Him alone. Because He never changes. God, you don't go back on your word. We can count on you. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.